Good morning, church family, faith community. So glad to be with you in this moment. Let's talk joy. In a culture replete with discouragement and uncertainties, how desperately we need to discuss this incredible characteristic of the Christian faith, joy. It has been said that happiness builds upon the circumstance turning out as we desire, but joy builds upon the change Jesus brings to our heart. Oh, how vital it becomes that we live out the joy of our Christian faith. This powerful definition of joy, Jesus changing our hearts so that we live that joy out in our faith, becomes the narrative of of an incredible book in the New Testament, the book of Philippians. This book is an epistle, meaning that this book... Uh, represents a letter the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to a young congregation uh, in the Roman colony of Philippi located in Macedonia. His message and his chief aim throughout this entire letter was that the Philippian Christians would truly live in the joy of their Christian faith. So how did Paul propose that the Philippian Christians would live out their joy. And how can you and I live out the joy of our faith as well? Uh, Over the next three weeks, we will answer this question. And as we move through the book of Philippians, we're going to focus on just three passages that help us to understand how to live in the joy of our Christian faith. Now, there are many other passages That will encourage us, but uh, we will look at three specific passages. First, in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, we we are told of the joy that Paul had when he considered the partnership of the gospel between him and the Philippian congregation. So the first step toward living out the joy of our Christian faith is to invest in the gospel, to make the gospel a real part of every piece of our lives to truly focus on the work of the gospel in our lives and in the lives of others. Second, we we move to chapter 3, which opens with the resounding theme, rejoice. And later in that chapter, verse 20 to be exact, Paul reminds the Philippian Christians to focus on their citizenship, which is in heaven. Many of them were proud to have Roman citizenship in the colony of Philippi, but Paul points them to a greater citizenship in heaven. And so the second step to live out our our joy in, in Christian faith is to anticipate heaven, uh, not to be bogged down with all the concerns and the identities we have on this planet, but to truly anticipate heaven. A final step we can take to live out the joy of our Christian faith that we find in the book of Philippians, comes from chapter 4, where in verse 10 and 11, Paul announces his his contentment. This is a huge piece of who we are to be as followers of Jesus. Paul pronounced, I'm I'm content in whatever circumstance I I find myself. And so the the third step toward uh, living out the joy of our Christian faith is to rest content in the present moment. And so here we have, invest in the gospel, anticipate heaven, and rest content in the present moment. You you see, when you invest in the gospel, this represents the practice of our faith. 
Now, when you anticipate heaven, this represents the promise of our faith. And when you rest content in the moment, this represents the provision of our faith. And so we'll walk through these themes uh, for the next three weeks as we enter into the teaching series, Live It, How to Live Out the Joy of Our Christian Faith. So let's begin with the first of these, Invest in the gospel. From Philippians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, we read these words. Paul himself, God's mouthpiece, God's pen, to give encouragement to the Philippian church, Paul wrote this, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. The encouragement from that phrase, partnership in the gospel, is to Invest in the gospel. If we are to live out the joy of our Christian faith, we must truly invest in, in the gospel, the, the work of the gospel, both in our lives and in the lives of others. I love how Paul uses the term all from the original Greek language. In verse 4, Paul writes, in, in all my remembrance of you, actually that's verse 3, in all my remembrance of you, and then in verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you. So this... Uh, partnership in the gospel is very significant in the life of the Philippian church. Paul writes, I remember you all the time. So Paul is obviously writing from another location. Uh, he's writing in a time when he has not been uh, present with this congregation for quite some some time. And Paul writes, I, I'm remembering you with with fondness and with every memory. I I remember you with each specific time of prayer. And I remember this for each and every single one of you because you all have participated in the gospel. So again, this is a very significant uh, encouragement, both for the first century church and for you and for me, that we invest in the gospel. So before this conversation moves any further, we need to ask the question, what is the gospel? I love a Tim Keller, beloved pastor and author. He writes this, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe, and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. I love that statement because the gospel is just this. We, we are sinners separated from God. So God gave Jesus to die on the cross so that we can be brought to God all because of his love and his grace for us. Therein lies the gospel. But also listen to how the scriptures define the gospel. I'll look at one particular passage with you. Romans chapter one, verse 16. Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it, meaning the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So the gospel represents God's power in Jesus to save us from our sins. Verse 17 of that same chapter in Romans chapter one, verse 17. For in it, meaning in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So these verses in Romans points us back to what Paul was, was writing in Philippians concerning the gospel. The gospel is a representation of God's power to save us from our sins. And because we also read that the gospel is the righteousness of God from faith to faith, the gospel also represents our growth as individuals, uh, the maturation of our faith. And so the gospel represents the power that changes us that that takes away sin, that, that makes us brand new. And the gospel also represents God's righteousness for our lives, how we are growing to depend on Jesus and how we are growing to mature in our Christian faith. So therein is the gospel. Now let's also ask the question, what is the partnership 
We've answered the question, what is the gospel? This is the message of how Jesus not only changes us, but grows us in a life of faith. But what is the partnership? As again, we look back to verse 4, which references this partnership of the gospel, particularly in verse 5. The partnership can be defined both as a a direct partnership and an indirect partnership. Now, uh, let's look at this. Paul said to the Philippian church, Uh, In verse 4, I'm always praying for you with joy in every prayer. Verse 5, in view of your partnership in the gospel. Now listen to this next phrase. From the first day until now. There is some significant chronology and geography represented in that phrase from the first day until now. So again, we're asking the question, what is this partnership? And so when Paul writes, I am thanking God for your place, your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is defining first a a direct partnership. Paul is referencing when he writes from the first day, he's referencing how from the very conception of this church in Philippi, they grasped the gospel of Jesus, the message of salvation and change. And they not only grasped it from day one, but they held tight. And the message of the gospel became their identity and their words and their action and their life and their fellowship and their community. Uh, the The church in Philippi was, was most likely begun some 10 years prior to these words that we're reading from Philippians chapter 1. Acts chapter 16 gives the the history of the beginning of the church in Philippi. From that time, with no more than a decade, the Philippian church had grasped the message of Jesus and it held tight and the gospel had changed them. So from the first day, meaning their direct partnership with the message of the gospel that changed them day one and has continued to change them every day since becomes a representation of that direct partnership they had in the gospel. But then Paul writes, not only from your first day, but even now. And Paul is referencing in these words where he was at that moment. Paul was not in Philippi. Paul was in prison. The year is probably 60 or 61 AD. So in a specific place at a specific time, Paul wrote to this church in Philippi to say, you've been faithful in your partnership. You have invested in the gospel from the very beginning, your direct relationship with the gospel. Even now, as indirectly, you're still participating with me in the gospel, although I'm in prison. So this becomes Paul's message to the church of Philippi. This indirect partnership actually references how the church continued to support Paul even though he was in prison. Some say in Caesarea, but I believe he was actually in Rome, the epicenter of the civilized world at that time. Because in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul talks about the praetorium guard. But also in chapter 4, verse 22, Paul references Caesar's household. And it's very likely that there were members of Caesar's household, meaning his administration, who actually came to faith in Jesus Christ. Because Paul wrote later in chapter 4, verse 22 of Philippians, and I send you greetings from brothers and sisters who are members of Caesar's household. Now, can you imagine being a member of the church at Philippi and realizing that you're being faithful to the gospel here in your own little community, but then because you supported the apostle, you sent him uh, gifts and encouragement while he was in prison through, through the envoy of Epaphroditus. Because of this, Paul stayed encouraged, and he shared the gospel, and he encouraged those Christians even inside Caesar's household. And so Paul likely did not name them 
in chapter 4 because of protection they needed with their identity, because they were certainly in the proverbial enemy's camp. But Paul referenced them generally to the church of Philippi to say, although you're not here with me, indirectly you still partner with me. So this is a beautiful expression of partnership, directly right where we sit and indirectly as we send support out to others who are spreading the gospel around the world. In both cases, we are to invest in the gospel. Now, this idea of partnership comes from a Greek term from where we derive the idea of fellowship. It's a very familiar term in the Greek, koinonia. That very term gives us not only the term fellowship, but the term partnership, indicating a fellowship that is mutually participatory, meaning that we're not just dwelling together and silently looking at each other, but we are truly linked together with the common purpose of participating in the mission of the gospel. This, again, is another reflection of fellowship that can be called partnership in the gospel. The whole picture of gospel partnership indicates that which is shared. And so I'd like to share with you um, in the moments we have left uh, concerning the application of all that we've discussed thus far. I'd like to share with you um, how the uh, partnership in the gospel uh, gives us a three experiences together. So uh, the partnership with the gospel uh, offers uh, three shared experiences because partnership means shared. The koinonia, uh, the, the koinonia aspect of partnership means that which we share together. So what are the three shared experiences of partnership? Well, they're, they're found right here, and I give you these uh, first. The partnership of the gospel shares a gift, Second, the partnership of the gospel shares sufferings. And third, the partnership of the gospel shares a task. Let's look at these just real quickly. First, Paul said, hey, I'm so grateful that we have the partnership of the gospel together. So what does that share? First, the partnership of the gospel shares a, a gift. What is that gift? When I look at the end of verse 7, which gives us the uh, the contextual meat to this phrase, uh, partnership in the gospel, Paul wrote at the end of verse 7, you are partakers of grace with me. Uh, partnerships of the gospel share a gift. That gift is the grace of God. And then verse 6 seems to elaborate on this grace. I, I love again how verse 6 is written almost like a narrative with with a description of chronology and a description of development. So verse 6 is almost like a story. So verse 6 actually says that which... God began in you, that which he began in you, the good work he began, he'll continue till the day of Christ Jesus. Do you see the past, present, and future? That which God began, past, meaning for the Philippian church, their salvation when they trusted Jesus, he will continue, meaning their present growth of faith in the gospel, and he will complete it perfectly in the day of Christ Jesus, meaning when they're in heaven with Jesus. Other theologian would say justification and sanctification and glorification, but the, the justification is, is just that. It's a demonstration of, of how we are made just and right with God through what Christ has done, our salvation. And then the sanctification, coming from a word that means to be set apart, references that growing in our life spiritually to becoming more and more set apart to Jesus. And then the glorification is when this whole journey is made complete and perfect when we're with Christ in heaven. All of this is built on the grace. 
When Paul wrote at the end of verse 7, you partake of God's grace with me, he was identifying this journey of faith from, from beginning to end. And Paul writes, we partake of the grace together. And so the, the core of the partnership of the gospel uh, rest on this sharing of the gift, the grace of God. Michelangelo, this uh, Renaissance artist, uh, came to a, a significant conclusion at the end of his life. And his life actually paralleled uh, the Reformation. And when you read some of the personal writings of Michelangelo, you, you notice that he himself struggled with understanding how God would find his own life acceptable. And he struggled with this whole idea of faith uh, and, and salvation that comes through great but grace by faith. He, he struggled with this truth. Uh, and Michelangelo is obviously known for the Sistine Chapel and the Statue of David. But toward the end of his life, he began to feel great conviction about the grace and the mercy of God. And it is said that right now in a museum in Florence, Italy, along with a statue that he made, one of his last sculptures of his own life holding the body of Christ, adjacent to that statue is a poem. And I'd like to read to you an excerpt of that poem to, to reveal how at the end of Michelangelo's days, he came to the conclusion of grace. This is what he wrote. Because he struggled with his own art being his, his own God and, in, and his own Lord in which he took hope. But he had to let that go. And here's what he wrote in this poem. Neither painting nor sculpture will be able any longer to calm my soul. Now turned toward the divine love that opened his arms on the cross to take us in. Michelangelo had to say no to the significance that he once held to his art. And he had to say, I can only gain hope from Jesus Christ and the grace and his love for me. I mean, the Sistine Chapel, this is a significant piece of art for Michelangelo to say, I must let the significance of that go in order to embrace the grace of Christ and Christ as my Savior and my Lord. What do you need to let go of today to truly found and ground your life on the grace that is from God through Jesus Christ? Partakers of the gospel share in the grace. When you see a missionary on a screen, when you when you hear a, a, a pastor or a, or a teacher or, or someone leading in worship, your conclusion doesn't need to be they have a calling that's higher than other callings. No, your conclusion needs to be they're motivated by the same grace that has changed me. Become motivated by the grace of Christ because we are all partners in the gospel because we all are partakers of that grace. Now, there's a second experience shared in partnership with the gospel. The first was, of course, uh, the, the gift. But second, partnership in the gospel shares in sufferings. Now, I focus again on verse 7 of this context of Philippians chapter 1. And in verse 7, uh, Paul writes, It's only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart because since my imprisonment. Now, Paul will, will soon say, hey, we partake of the grace. But leading up to that, Paul referenced his imprisonment and how the church in Philippi truly partnered with him even while he was imprisoned. The, the partnership of the gospel shares in the experience of, of suffering. There is no way the church of Philippi would have allowed Paul to go forward in his ministry forgotten while he was in prison. They would not forget him. 
They reached out to him. Uh, the, the prison system of the Roman culture was very primitive. And someone in, in a Roman prison would not have food. They would not have basic needs. But you could uh, somehow envoy those basic needs to the prisoner. And if it were not for the church at Philippi, Paul would have gone completely without. But that church sent their messenger, the beloved Epaphroditus, and, and the supplies were given to this loving companion of Paul, this support and this envoy. And Paul received these blessings. We're not sure exactly what they took the form of in Paul's hands. But, but nonetheless, even though Paul was away in prison, the church in Philippi supported him. They, they looked at Paul's need and said, if he's in prison, so are we. They shared the sufferings. They shared the need. And can I give you three results when we share sufferings with others or when we share in their need? There are needs all around us concerning how others are desiring to, to proclaim the gospel and share the gospel in the world. And, and these are the results when we share in the needs of others. First, we make the faith of one another strong. Second, we carry the burden of one another. And third, we fulfill the law of Christ. When, when the church of Philippi reached out to Paul and met his needs, well, they were, they were sharing and then they were making the faith of one another strong. Paul even gives some endearing words in verse eight that, that expresses the endearment he had with Philippi. God is my witness how I long with you in the affections of Christ. And this endearment expressed the desire for the congregation to reach out and to meet the needs of Paul. And in that, the faith of one another was made strong. When we share the needs of another inside the partnership of the gospel, we make the faith of one another stronger. But also we carry the burden of one another. Uh, Galatians 6.2 reminds us, carry each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. That word carry actually comes from a word that means bear. Bear up each other's burdens. And it's a term that actually means a weightiness that is unmanageable alone. And so Philippi, this congregation, saw the burden of Paul and resolved his burden is ours. And they carried his burden by meeting his needs. But third, they fulfilled the law of Christ. They, they made his faith stronger by encouragement. They carried his burdens, but they fulfilled the law of Christ. I love how in, in Galatians, Paul wrote in chapter 5, verse 14, uh, the whole law is summarized in this one command, love your neighbor. Well, he's not leaving out the other part of the Shema, love, love God. But he was focusing on the interrelatedness of the church. And Paul writes, do you want to fulfill the whole law? Do you want to be true to the law? Love your neighbor. And so in, in Galatians 6, 2, Paul calls this love and this carrying of burdens for one another, the law of Christ, meaning as we love like Jesus, we're fulfilling all that God expects of his, of his children. The, the love that we share uh, that, that, that has come from him is the foundation of, of who we are as followers of Jesus. So, oh yes, they, they shared in the sufferings. What a, what a beautiful picture of Paul's relationship with the church at Philippi. Uh, a final experience shared in partnership with the gospel is this. Well, certainly uh, a gift is shared, the grace of God. Sufferings are shared. Uh, but, but finally, partnerships with the gospel share the experience of a task. So here's the, the literalness of the task. Uh, Paul writes in verse 7, 
Uh, I'm always giving thanks and joy for you, verse 5, in view of your partnership with the gospel from the first day to the last. I'm confident that he who began a good work will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, for it's only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart since in my imprisonment or in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. Therein lies the task. Uh, Paul is writing from his perspective as one who both defends and and uh, approves or commends the gospel. Paul writes, uh, in my defense and in my confirmation of the gospel. He also considers that this has been the activity of the congregation in Philippi as well, for they were partners in the gospel. And the partnership of the gospel has the experience of this shared task to defend and both to confirm the gospel. These two terms, according to a beloved scholar and, and, and former teacher of mine, Dave Garland, uh, uh, who I've been influenced by his, his leadership through my academic studies, David Garland writes, these two terms are actually terms of, 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 of justice, terms of the practice of, of law, of jurisprudence. These two terms actually demonstrate how Paul realized that when he was in prison, he was not actually the one on trial. The gospel was on trial. Paul was not interested in defending himself, nor was he interested in finding a loophole so that he might become released. At this point, Paul does not know if he is going to be released or executed. And so Paul writes, I'm not defending myself. I'm not actually on trial. The gospel's on trial, and I must defend the gospel. So look at these two words, both defend and confirm the gospel. The word defense actually means, in a legal sense, to take the stand and, and to simply make the witness visible. So in, in prison, Paul made his, his witness of being a follower of Jesus visible. So therein lies the defense. But then comes the confirmation, because Paul said, I both defend and confirm the gospel. The defense is the stand identifying oneself with Jesus. But then the confirmation of the gospel references the evidence as to why we take the stand. In other words, in prison, Paul made it clear he follows Jesus. And then he confirmed that defense by teaching and living out the truth of Christ in his life. And what Christ had done for him became both his word and his action. And so Paul confirmed the gospel, the very statement of his stance, by talking and living out the truth of Christ. You know, right now, if someone were to come to you and to say, oh, these are dark times for our world and for our nation, at that very moment, because you follow Jesus, your testimony of faith is on trial. You may think it's not, but at that very moment, someone has just spoken about the bleakness of the world to a follower of Jesus. What do you do? Do you stay quiet? Do you agree with their animosity? Or do you state your faith in Christ and then give reason why you're trusting Jesus and you're not falling to the uncertainty and the discouragement of the world? Therein lies the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, making a stand for Jesus because you're a witness to his gospel and then living out the truth of what Jesus has done for you so that your life, both in word and in deed, becomes a defense and a confirmation of the gospel. Uh, that's what we share. We, we share the, the gift, the sufferings, and we, and we share, uh, we share the, the task of both, uh, defending and confirming our 
are, are, are commending the gospel. So this is how we invest in the gospel. This is how we say the gospel is, is our identity. This is how we become partners in the gospel. Uh, we, we, we share in the grace. The grace of God becomes our motivation to live out the gospel. We share in the sufferings when there is a need. When there is a missionary on the screen or in person, when there is an event happening and we know that God is raising us up to help meet the need, we share in the sufferings and we also share in the task. Right here where we live, we are, we are living testimonies, defending the gospel and the message of Jesus and confirming and commending and, and distributing. Uh, demonstrating the gospel as we speak and as we live out the truth of what Christ has has done for us. You know, I love the author, speaker, and writer, Becky Tirabasi, and she made this one simple statement. Be free to be in love with Jesus in front of people. Isn't that incredible? Be free to be in love with Jesus in front of people. This is the summary of how we can be partners in the gospel. I close with this. C.S. Lewis wrote this, and I'm so grateful for these words. He writes, God seems to do nothing of himself when he can possibly do that same work through his creatures. And then C.S. Lewis writes, We do slowly and blunderingly what God could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye, but he still desires to involve us in his work. God is desiring that you and I, at the core of who we are, to see ourselves as partners with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you truly desire to live out the joy of your faith? It comes when you invest in the gospel, when you realize that you were called to the purpose of, of living out and sharing and participating in the gospel, you have the opportunity. Uh, you have the opportunity to see missionaries and to know their needs and to help support. You have the opportunity to be a missionary in your own missional proximity right where you live. But oh, may we be participants and partners in the gospel as we live in these uncertain times. And really, this leaves us with just two questions. Has your life been changed by the message of the gospel? And are you truly living out that message in everything you say and do? Has your life been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? And are you living out the message of the gospel in everything that you say and do? If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now. Scripture says if we will pray and repent of our sins and confess Jesus as Lord, he'll save us from our sins. You can pray, dear Jesus, I believe in you and I know you died on the cross for my sins and I, I repent of my sins and I, I commit to following you. I desire to follow you. And if you know Jesus, then perhaps your heart prayer may need to be, Jesus, I've been quiet about the gospel. I've been, I've been cowardice at times. Oh, Jesus, help me to, to not only defend by saying I'm a Christian, but to, to confirm the gospel by truly living out what you've done in me uh, through what I say and do. Oh, may that be our, our prayer to Jesus. Oh, has the gospel message changed you? And are you living out the gospel message in everything you say and do? Invest in the gospel. This is how you live out the joy of your Christian faith. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, for your truths that have encouraged us today. And Father, as we come to the close of this broadcast, our, our desire is not to just have words that we've heard and to walk away um, 
with our lives uninterrupted. Lord, interrupt our lives, interrupt our thoughts, interrupt our priorities. Help us to see where the message of Jesus must be a priority, a significant priority in everything that we say and do. And Lord, may we truly live in partnership with the gospel. May we invest in the gospel, both right where we stand and then as we uh, support the work of the gospel around the world. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us through your word as we begin this journey of how to live it, living out the joy of our Christian faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Hey, love you a lot. See you soon. Excited about this new teaching series. Let's do this again this coming Sunday. Have a great week. Stay tuned for some announcements. God bless.